0: This episode is brought to you by our Daily Bread Ministries, a global media organization that makes the life-changing wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to all. Visit whereyourefrom.org for more information. That's where O-R-G. Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in association with my good friends at Preaching Today. The Ascent Leader, and Food for the Hungry, I bring you a conversation around the craft of preaching, but always wanting to help you have your character lead the way. Today, I have the chance to interview a dear friend, pastor in Silicon Valley. He's making his second appearance here on the podcast. It's Pastor Jay Kim. He leads an incredible church, Westgate Church, and he's somebody who... I just adore and love listening to. He spoke recently at Lafayette, Colorado, at a church called Flatirons in a series called Digital Hygiene. And when you're a pastor in Silicon Valley, you understand these things because many people within your congregation know social media, no technology. And what I love, what I love is that Jay, uh, right after covid drops a book called Analog Church, and it was so helpful, so helpful to so many. And now today he's dropping a new book called Analog Christian. And I just love this conversation about not just uh, the dangers of technology, people talk about that all the time, but, but really what it's doing to shape and form us. And I love the bent. And I think this is so important for you to know but also for us to be aware as we pastor and shepherd our congregation. So like we often do, I want to give you a chance to hear
1: Pastor J. Kim's
0: sound. Listen to this.
1: Second Peter chapter 1, the writer, Peter, he says this. His divine power, God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, if Peter ended his thought here, the internet would be perfect. The internet would be all we need. Because again, the internet offers us more knowledge, more information, more quickly, more accessibly than any generation, any tool or device before. But Peter does not end here. In other words, knowledge is important, but it's not enough. He continues. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may what? Participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, I love this phrase, make every effort. Then he continues in verse 10. My brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. What the Bible makes clear is that if you want your life to be formed into the sort of life God longs for you to have, the sort of life you deeply long to live, a life of meaning and purpose and joy, then just knowing the God stuff, knowing the Christian stuff is not enough. You have to participate. You have to make every effort. The late, great Dallas Willard put it beautifully. He says that grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. I think we get this wrong often. You cannot ever earn grace. If you were able to earn it, it would cease to be grace. That's called a wage or payment. So grace can never be earned. It is always a free gift given, and so it is with God's grace. You cannot earn it. But Once you have received God's grace, make no mistake, it demands participation and effort from you. Otherwise, we have to begin asking, did I really fully, deeply receive that grace? In other words, do I truly understand the weight of the cost, what it cost Jesus to give this gift to me? When we understand that reality, effortful participation and response is the natural byproduct.
0: Well, Jay Kim, thanks so much for joining us on the Crafting Character Podcast. We just heard a clip from a recent teach you gave at Flatirons Church, all in this series called Digital Hygiene. Um, you're week one, you're a guest. They love you, though. I, I watched the whole teach. I'm actually teaching a few weeks later in that series, so it's super fun. Yeah. But I, I, I'm curious, um, give us a little sense of what that whole teach was about and what you were trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, Steve, so fun to be back with you, man. You're one of my favorite people on the planet. So this is a good time. I don't know if anyone else is going to have a good time. but (laughs) We will, we will. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. Uh, Yeah, you know, obviously I've been thinking about digital technology for a really long time and uh, thinking about it in terms of uh, what, what it's not just what it's doing for us, but what it's doing to us. So, uh, when our mutual friend, dear friend, Jesse DeYoung, um, uh, who's on the executive team there at Flatirons told me, you know, Hey, would, would you come out and teach on this? But not just that, you know, I was really thrilled because he said, no, we're actually going to do a full series and Steve Carter is going to be a part of it. And, uh, I was really excited. Yeah. So really, I guess my approach to the whole thing as I was talking to Jesse and sort of learning about the community, which I, I think that's just so vitally important, especially when, when we're not teaching at home, you know, just trying to figure out what do these folks need? Where are they at? What are they struggling with? It became pretty clear that, you know, just setting setting up the tension, like pointing out the problem. Because I think, especially with with technology, uh, we sort of, and this isn't, you know, this is self-indictment if it's anything, because I do this all the time. We sort of live oblivious to the issue. Um, and I think, you know, things are changing a little bit. I mean, like millions of people have watched that Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma and Tristan Harris and his whole concept of, you know, if a technology is free, it's not really free. It just means you're the product, you know? So all of that stuff, I think that's bubbling up to the surface. So it was really fun because essentially the assignment I was tasked was to come in and just explore that reality, try to unpack that reality and set up the rest of the series and the rest of the teachers who I think are gonna sort of dig in deeper um, and and hit on sort of uh, nerve endings, you know, when it comes to how technology needs to be put in its rightful place so that we can be formed. Uh, into Christ likeness and and not have technology hinder that, but really accentuate that and, and move us forward in the right direction. Talk about that from a guest preacher
0: you're coming in. It's your first time you've ever taught at flat irons. Yeah. Everybody uses social media for the most part. (laughs) Everybody has for the most part, a smartphone. Everyone um, is, you know, probably has phantom vibrates when they're, phone is too far away. You know, we, we, we have this, but you're coming as a, as a guide, as a pastor, um, you know, and, and you do this so beautifully. Again, the things I respect about you, uh, your, your love for the text. uh, You, you always point me to Christ. And when I'm listening to you at Westgate or, um, just when I'm reading, um, analog church or, you know, the newest one, analog Christian, um, uh, you you have this ability to do that, but you also don't shy away from tension, and the and the ache and the problem. And it's one thing when you do this at Vintage Faith, where you had been for many many years in Santa Cruz, or you, you do this at Westgate, where you are the the lead pastor. Talk about some of the learnings when you're stepping in and how to do that well. Cause I, again, I see, th- I feel like you do this so naturally where you expose the ache, but you don't like shame the ache. You don't mock the ache, but you, you expose it and then attack it in a beautiful way. Talk about that in your message prep.
1: Yeah, man. What a great question. Um, yeah. I think the first thing that comes to mind and this might just be my personality, it, it, it certainly, it is the influence of incredible teachers in my life, both near and far that I've learned from. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that generally speaking, especially in church contexts where people are coming uh, to hopefully experience spiritual transformation. I don't think people really primarily lean into content. I think they lean into people. So uh, when I'm going to a place where um, it's not home, I mean, obviously, like you said here at home at Westgate, there there's the advantage that when I get up there, um, most of the people, not all the people, most of the people know me. There's a level of trust, uh, there's a rapport. Um, But even still here at Westgate, it's kind of like commonplace for all of our teachers, not just me, to get up. And we almost all of us, like robots, (laughs) kind of start with, hey, I'm Jay. If we've never met, so glad you're here. Really thrilled you're here. And then there's typically always some, it's not necessarily like a story about our family or anything, but there's always we try to push for some sort of humanizing element at the beginning. So, you know, a very simple way to do that. A lot of people do this, Um, you know, kind of comes it goes back to like the Andy Stanley model, which has been so helpful. It's like, I, I try to talk a lot in um, the sort of plural pronoun, like us and we, you know, to begin. Cause really what I'm trying to do is uh, set a tone that this is not like the Christian professional on a big stage here to tell you why you're wrong and give you the right answers. This is actually just a room full of broken people and yeah, maybe like I have the mic for the next 35 minutes, but really this is a communal experience where we're hoping that the the word of God infused with the power of his spirit can do a, a transformative work in all of us. So some of that is in the language I use. A lot of it, I think, is just an embodied presence. Um, I pray this prayer all the time. Anytime I get up. say anything to any group of people whether it's like thousands at flat irons or you know 10 people in a small meeting i just ask god god help me not to try and be anything other than faithful here so not flashy not impressive my goal isn't necessarily to make you laugh or to cry my primary goal is just to be faithful to this moment and faithful to what the spirit of God might want to do through the preparation for sure. But also just in in this moment, you know, Dallas Willard uh, has this fantastic thing he used to say, and I actually heard this from John Ortberg. He used to say to John all the time, John, the most important thing that happens in a sermon, the most important moment is the moment between when the words leave the speaker's mouth and right before the words enter the listener's ear. And what he meant was the most important thing in a sermon is what the spirit of God does in the exchange. So I try to think about sermons as um, gifts, not that I create to give away, but a gift that has been given for me to steward and give away. So if if I'm doing the work, then in the preparation process, I'm, I'm creating and crafting for sure, but primarily I'm receiving, you know, I'm receiving what God has, not just for me, but for the people that I'm going to share those words with. So I'm just trying to steward that gift and then um, as faithfully as possible, share that gift with others. So in a new environment where I don't necessarily know the people and they don't necessarily know me without saying what I just said, I'm trying to embody that reality that, you know, this is the word of God given to all of us. And just my small part in this exchange is to steward that word and then disperse it communally amongst all of us. And then it's up to God, you know, it's up to God and the person uh, what, what they want to do with it, which is also actually like a an immensely freeing way to think about the sermon. I I used to put all this pressure on myself, like, man, they didn't laugh enough. They didn't cry enough. And that's sort of by God's grace. I think that pressure is sort of off now. It's just, no, it's a gift I've received to steward. I've done the work and I've tried to be faithful and I've shared the gift. And, uh, and then that's that I move on with my day. Uh, So good. Michael Jr., a comedian, he, he once told me, you know, for
0: so many years he'd get on stage and, he He needed the the room to laugh to validate his you know existence or his profession as a comedian and then he it all switched and he realized, oh no, no, I, I have this gift that I get to steward and yeah. and they can choose to laugh or not, but I'm just trying to i'm giving them a gift you know and there's yeah. this this sense of this idea came in my brain and uh, God gave it to me. And how do I give that away? I, I just, that's a, it's a beautiful way that you said that. And once again, another Dallas Willard story that just, I'll be sitting on for years and years and years. It's just like that changes everything. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because you're the whole book. It's a, it's in some ways a, a follow-up to analog church. Um, you, you coming out today with analog Christian and I, I I'm I'm sitting here and what I felt like the book did for me, um, it exposed and I, I'm you know, just quite honestly, is the best book I've read this year. Like I mm. I I I'm so proud wow. of you. I think it's and and I think it speaks Thanks, man. one because of how much I needed this book um for my own life. Oh. Um you know, I, I, I I do most of my work on my phone. I write my sermons on my phone. I, you know, I only use my laptop for, um, podcast interviews. (laughs) Like I don't, I don't really use my laptop. Um, I I listen to audiobooks on my phone. My whole life is my phone. And sometimes, um, my Sabbath gets hijacked by my phone and it's not even, not even like me doing email, but it's, or doing social media, but it's, the audiobook I choose to listen to ends up being in sermon prep. You know, it's just yeah. all of this constant digital noise and yeah. this busyness. And and the word I just kept like circling and underlying and um I just I found myself writing in my own journal about was just uh the word content. Mm. And it's like it. You you offer this world this this opportunity of what a uh, Paul would kind of talk about knowing the secret life of contentment. Like I I,
1: yeah. I just
0: feel like that you it's 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 there, and yet my whole life is this is on this thing, yeah. and I and and so it's like trying, and yet the thing I'm the more beautiful vision of what I want is contentment but my whole life is on this thing. So yeah. so just the 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 way that you talk about it not shame it but, but the questions you ask the curiosity. Just just step us back a little to where where did this kind of idea come for, come from? Like where where did this like the genesis of analog christian come out of?
1: Yeah, well first of all, thank you Steve for um this really generous and kind of you to say. And uh yeah, you know, it came from the same place that you know you're resonating with as you read the book. It just came from my own very. Um, it was it wasn't surprising, but it was a little bit shocking when I sort of took a step back from my own life years ago and realized how tethered I was to this device. And like you said, it's not even all bad stuff, but I, I was finding. That I was so tethered to it that the digital addiction was actually having real ramifications in a physical, bodily way. So I think a lot of people relate to this. Um, several years ago, I found myself almost like a weird tick, like going to my phone and unlocking and opening it, and then realizing, oh, I had, I have no. I don't have any sort of reason to unlock and open my phone. It's just a physical tick. Like if my hands are idle for any length of time, what they naturally will do, I still struggle with it. You know, like what they naturally will do is just reach for this device. I also found myself unable to wait in lines without my phone. (laughs) I think a lot of people can relate to that. The grocery store, the DMV waiting in line to, to order my lunch or whatever if i wasn't with another human being and then sadly even sometimes when i was with another human being i would find myself physically in these environments that were that have been commonplace in my life for decades but now because of the advent of the smartphone it's like a part of that experience had to be connected to time spent scrolling mindlessly whatever social media or the ESPN app to see who got traded today or whatever, you know? And I I just, it really started bothering me because I realized, you know, because the smartphone, I I was like, it was post-college for me, you know, when the smartphone came out. So I had like over 20 years of life where no smartphone, like I was perfectly content without any of that stuff. And, and, and then I sort of longed for that, you know, and I, re- I think a lot of people can relate to this too. I remember finding myself asking the question, what did I do in lines back then? Like, w- what did I do? Because they still had lines. I still had to wait for the, gro- you know, the grocery store, or order lunch or the DMV or whatever. Like, what did I do back then? And I realized what I did was sit with my own thoughts or people watch or observe my surroundings. In other words, I was just really present in my body and in my thoughts and in my environment. And so I just tried doing that a little bit more and came to realize what an utterly different experience that is to just live whole and fully in your body and in your experiences. And Um, I found it to be a far more human experience. Like I just felt more like a human being, whereas I would find myself spending 10 minutes in a line scrolling social media. And at the end of it, typically I would find myself in sort of a daze, you know, this like weird stupor, like what just happened for the last 10 minutes? Where am I? What have I been doing? None of it would stick. None of it would linger, you know? Um, So that's where it really started. And then, you know, like in much more like really, really destructive ways, I was finding myself doing the same thing with my little kids. I'd be like physically present in the room, but completely absent in every other way. And I realized this is having like at the end of my life, I don't want my daughter to say, man, my daddy like was really prompt in returning emails. What a hero, you know, like, I mean, come on, how ridiculous nobody wants that. And yet that was the life I was crafting. You know, That was going to be on my tombstone. Like Jay responded to emails within 24 hours. Like what a hero. Like that was going to be my tombstone. And so, yeah, I mean, I I realized that's not the life I want. And so if that's not the life I want, I have to instill real discipline and intentionality in my life. Otherwise, that is the life I will have. That's just, just what I discovered. So that was kind of the genesis of the whole whole thing it's so it's so good I
0: mean your your first book analog church uh, I I might have this wrong but um comes out the last day of March
1: 2020
0: yeah. <laughs> two and a half weeks after the pandemic and, <laughs> and and really in many ways is is kind of the the sibling to analog Christian yeah and and yet everything then goes online. You know what I mean? And every, every, all services and, 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 you know, it's, and for many people, depending on the state that they lived in and the county or city, you know, um, office hours changed, meeting as a congregation changed, you know, and we're in this people business and, and office hours were different. Um, And, and it was almost this kind of, well, this person has a need and, you know, whether it's with COVID or whether it's with race or whether it's politics or this person's leaving the church or you just found out this person moved to another state and left, you know, yeah. California or Chicago and, and moved down south or whatever, you know, and all of this, this thing almost was like creating this frenzy of, yeah. man, if, if you don't respond, somebody else will. Somebody yeah. else will. And I and I think for pastors, um, at least let me just say not say pastors in general, let me say it for myself. Like it felt like every email had way more importance. Yeah. And and then at the same time, though, I love how you said that. What's gonna be on my tombstone? It's yeah. not that important, but yeah. but it felt in the moment so important. And I, I just remember like talking to my wife and I, I said, you know, it's, it's funny. I think for many of like the, the kids who grew up with boomer parents, um, you know, these boomer parents like were gone and they were yeah. working, they were working yeah. so much. And especially if they, both parents were working, they, they were gone and they found so much of their identity and their achievement. And, yeah. and I think so many kids were like, man, I just I wish I had more time with my, my, my parents. Yeah. I think our kids are going to say, oh, he was present. Yeah. He didn't work as hard like grandpa or grandma, but he wasn't fully present. Yeah. He was in the house, but he was always, he was always escaping. He wasn't, he didn't know how, or she didn't know how to be. And that's, that's again, when I feel like what you offer up in analog Christian that really begins to say, Hey, how, Again, not shaming, but like, but to really ask the question: What is this doing in us? Yeah, and and so maybe let's just spend a a few moments because, again, just from the pastors that are listening and um, the emerging voices that are just like you know in Bible college that are listening or student pastors who you know they're they're connecting with students or congregants via email or social media or. Trying, you know, their communications person's like, you got to use Instagram more than other yeah. people or <laughs> keep posting on Facebook. You know, like yeah. you, you feel all these pressures, but it starts to own you. Yeah. And it starts to, I got to respond. I got, how, how, how does Pastor Jay Kim
1: fight this mm. in his actual everyday life? Yeah. Yeah. In some ways that, that like is the question, you know, cause yeah. we can, we can wax poetic about, and most people would agree like, yeah, no, I want a deep, meaningful life. Like I want, I want my tombstone and I want my kids to say, no, my dad was he was here and he was with me and he was for me. And when I was with him, it felt like we were the only two people in the world. Like we want that. Right. So no, nobody is like, yeah, I want my legacy to be that. I had a lot of Instagram followers. No, but nobody thinks that most people don't think that. And yet that's, that's how our lives are being shaped. So um, Cal Newport, is uh, fantastic writer, not 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 a Christian writer, but in his in his book Deep Work, he's got this great line, and he I'm paraphrasing him, but he essentially says, if you live in a state of constant frenetic shallowness, that's the phrase he uses. If you live in a constant state of frenetic shallowness, you can never do deep work. So those two things are incongruent. Like you literally cannot live in frenetic shallowness and accomplish deep meaningful work. Not only like can you not do that at the same time, but what he's saying, and, and he's kind of like into neuroscience, so it's not just conjecture. He's saying that the research shows us if you live in a constant flow of frenetic shallowness, which is actually much of email and social media and all of that, it's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. It's actually necessary and it can be really good. But if you live in a constant state of that sort of frenetic shallowness, you actually become hardwired into the sort of person who will really struggle to ever do deep work. Meaning if you constantly live in that sort of state, even when you shut off the email and the social media and you sit down to do deep work, you will find that your body, your brain, like your neurons, they've been hardwired could like not be able to really do that deep work, which is in, in one way, in one sense, it's really frightening, but in another sense, really hopeful, just acknowledging that because what it means is, and this is sort of how I would answer your question. What it means is for me, I try my best to schedule those uh, the times I, I have to spend in the frenetic shallowness. Um, and I'm not saying emails are shallow, and I'm not saying they're always frenetic. I just mean the pace of of how you move through digital realities is often frenetic, and it's often shallow because you're moving so quickly. So I just try to schedule it. Like I don't I don't have my email up all day on my laptop. Um, I actually just got back from three weeks of vacation and completely deleted my email and my social media. I had an email responder. I got this from Andy Crouch. Um, I had an email response that said, um, thanks for emailing. This email will not be read (laughs) because I didn't want to come back to an inbox of 400 emails and just play catch up. I, I wanted to like really rest with my family and I did for three weeks And then come back, clean slate. Like I'm starting with a zero inbox and we'll move uh, forward from here. So um, I just try to schedule it. So uh, I have a, a chunk of time blocked off on Monday afternoons. And it's Monday afternoons because I'm a bit more of a morning person. So my mind is sharper. So I try to do deep work in the morning. So I've got some key meetings in the mornings and then some study time on Monday mornings. And then all Monday afternoon, I just do frenetic stuff. So I just, I check email, I catch up on email Um, because you and I, you know, write and speak a little bit. It's sort of a necessary thing to be on social media and it's not bad. It's not bad. It's helpful. There's actually like really meaningful dialogue and interaction that happens there. So I'll do some social media stuff on Monday afternoons as well. And then I just shut it off, and then I don't do it again until like Wednesday afternoon. And that, you know, and so scheduling it has been really helpful for me because I have time blocked off. I don't have to freak out that oh my gosh when am I going to get back to that email? It's like no, it's on my calendar. Like I'll get back to it. Um, and and most of the folks on our team here sort of understand that rhythm in my life as well. And uh, so yeah, that's just kind of how I do it. It's not necessarily the rule for everybody, but works for me. Uh, it's so good though. I, I
0: I remember we we were chopping it up uh a day before and you had told me the about that email that you know response and I was like, that is just genius. Uh this email will not be read. Uh <laughs> but it's it's funny because you know, I'm currently driving um you know from Arizona to Chicago. So you know, we we've moved there, we got one vehicle left to go. So I'm I'm making this drive and I realized, um, I didn't bring my iPhone charger. And so, so last night I, you know, our first stop, my first stop is in Moab and I get to the hotel and I'm like, my phone's dead. And, and it it was, and it was weird. I was like, okay, well, you know what? I'll just go walk from the hotel into downtown Moab and, and find a restaurant and then maybe pick up a, a charger. And, um, and I have this, like, this kind of this this theory that I try to. I, I like the the Cal Newport line, but the, this 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 thing that helps me get into the deep work, which is um, every day you have to make choices against yourself. Mm, I have to make so choices good. against what I what I want. Yeah. Um, and so what I wanted was just to go to the first gas station I found and saw and get a charger and charge my phone up. And I'd be on my phone while I eat by myself at this restaurant in Moab. But I'm like, nope, make choices against yourself. Let's just do it. But it was wild. I just sat at this little restaurant for 45 minutes uh, by myself. And I'm just, I'm literally like not knowing what to do with my hands. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I, I, I'm like looking around, like I... <laughs> I I already look like, oh, here's a guy by himself, you know, like, I just like in the thought, like people are like, what's he, he's not even looking at his phone. I'm just like looking like somebody talked to me, you know, but you, but you're, you're realizing I'm not getting these dopamine hits. Yeah. I'm not getting, I'm not. And so all of a sudden I could feel in my body, man, like, um, this, this is a territory that we haven't often been to. Yeah, And, um, and so, but it, but it just, it, it just was fascinating. And then just to like, go, okay, well, what, what, what can I discover in this moment? How to be present. So I, I love just even the thought, uh, and I just started thinking, and, and obviously then just going into this interview, thinking about this more and just going, man, I wonder if there has to be almost like office hours for my phone. Like, yeah. here, it, like and I just love the way you talked about that. Okay. Monday afternoons or Wednesday afternoons. Um, because the, this this thing you don't think you are the product, but like that social dilemma talks about the documentary is you become that, and that's the addiction. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, how do you how do you communicate this? I mean, you live in Silicon Valley. Like <laughs> most of the people that that go to Westgate, uh, I assume are a part of Google and Apple, yeah. and you know what yeah. I mean. And yeah. and. Um, you deliver this kind of message and they're like, Hey man, like it's like you in Detroit talking about don't, don't drive cars. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like, 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 you know, how do you, how do you, how do you speak to this technological advancement that is so good in yeah. so many areas? Um, but with great power comes great responsibility, like Spiderman yeah. theology. How, how do you, how do you do that in your unique context?
1: Yeah. Well, one surprising thing, maybe it's not that surprising for people, is actually there's a real appetite uh, for this kind of conversation here in the Silicon Valley. And I think a big part of that is, you know, when you make the stuff that is so ubiquitous in our Mm lives and uh you see sort of behind the curtain you know because you're right the majority of our church where our our campus you've been here steve our campus is actually about a 10-15 minute drive to that big giant spaceship main apple campus and we've got um, a lot of folks at our church work at Apple or their spouse works at Apple in a variety of divisions and departments. And then a lot of folks who work at Google and then a lot of folks who work at you know startups and smaller tech companies. So yeah, tech, uh, most of our people, I would say, safely say, work in some form of, of tech, because that's the industry here. Um, but you, you'd be surprised, I think, to find how many of them because they're sort of like inside baseball you know like they see behind the curtain they see the the sort of strategy behind some of the stuff you'd, you'd be surprised at how many of them are not only open but really yearning for thoughtful dialogue about this technology and about how it might be forming us and actually they've taught me a ton because obviously they're not you know they're not just like, wholeheartedly against technology. If they were, they wouldn't be working in tech. They wouldn't live here in the Silicon Valley. And neither am I. So what I've learned from them is uh, it has to be nuanced. It's not sort of like good versus evil. It's not like good humans versus the evil technological robots. Um, It really is who's in control. And just outside of the church, the question is, is the technology controlling me or am I controlling and leveraging the technology? For the life of the Christian, it's is the Spirit of God guiding and shaping me or are my technological addictions and proclivities shaping and guiding me? And so at our church um, and at a lot of churches in the area, that sort of dialogue is really welcomed. You know, I just had coffee uh, like two weeks ago with a good friend of mine who's on the design team um, for the watch, the Apple watch. And he's like, I mean, he's like one of the guys who, who created this thing. And, you know, so this guy was a part of the team, one of the main sort of, you know, um, mad scientists in their lab who, who offered this incredible new device to the world. And he's not anti-tech. He's not a Luddite, doesn't live on a farm, and like, you know... Um, churn his own butter or whatever. He, he uses tech, but there's a level of thoughtfulness for him and especially with his kids. So he's got a couple middle schoolers and then an elementary age kid. And he's not anti-tech with them um, in terms of like, they never use tech, but he's got a whole system down. Like when they have tech time, when they don't, Uh, monitoring it as parents, all this kind of stuff. So so there's a deep level of of thoughtfulness, I think, from the people who make this stuff, which I think should give all of us who don't make the technology like real pause. Because these are men and women who see behind the curtain. They understand not just the technology, but the philosophy behind the technology and what it's intended to do, both good and bad and they're they're some of the most thoughtful people i know about it so uh, in many ways i think they've our congregation has taught me more about this and sort of spurred me on in this direction uh, than the other way around um, and that's, so that's been a real gift. So yeah, people ask me that a lot in interviews, it's like, what a weird thing. You're a pastor in Silicon Valley and you're writing sort of like about the dangers of technology or something. And I I w I, I wouldn't categorize it that way. I, I think it's more about the dangers of like the human condition yeah, and yeah. how these sorts of things can, can wrap themselves around us. But really, if you think about it, it makes sense that I would write about these things because I'm just surrounded by the people who who think about it all the time. Well, and I, and I, I think,
0: you know, whenever I'm kind of prepping a message, there's some words that stand out to me often are ache. What's the, what's the, what's the ache of, of the person yeah. that's in the room? What's the good desire? You know, and that's again, what your book does so well. And every time I hear you teach, I feel like you're always calling out good desire. And I think desire often gets so shamed, like, oh, you're, you're you know, it's evil to have desires. And i like, there's a, there's a good desire. I want to be content. Yeah. Yes. I want to I want to live that abundant life that Jesus invites us into. But there's also another word that, that I think about when I'm looking at a text, which is strongholds. What is mm. the cultural strongholds? So if if, if if the words that I teach can speak to this ache and call out these good desires, what strongholds will you naturally go after that yeah. will allow more opportunity for people to experience that the kingdom of God is actually near? It's yeah. near and here. Um, oh, so good. And I think that's that's what you do. And that's what this... The, this book, in my opinion, does is it just it 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 goes after these strongholds that um, that I think has almost snuck up on us. When you think about that, those words like frenzy or impatience or lack of presence or just not 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 content, um, needing to escape, needing to be distracted. You, this is this is like hitting all of these 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 strongholds. I'm curious for you when you are shaping a talk and um you you probably have different language for maybe how what you call it but you do a great job of not shying away from these areas that are um dangers as you said it to the human condition. Can yeah. you just talk about in your message prep how you just try to make space to attack that in a healthy and more kingdom minded way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I got this from a, a dear friend of mine who, you know, Steve Clifford, who was the lead pastor at the church where I served for 20 years. Um, he used to do this thing every Saturday night before he was going to preach. He said he would sit on his couch and pray, but his prayer was not words. He would think about whatever sermon he was preparing, and that might be like a week or two out, uh, or it might be the sermon he's about to give the next morning. But he would sit and he would close his eyes and literally imagine our room. And as, as detailed as possible, he would try to see the people in the room, like real people, not hypothetical made up avatars, but real people, people he knew in our church. And he would do this not just on Saturday nights before preaching, but he would do it sometimes in his prep time. And so he um, he would imagine people in the room, and then his prayer time was literally just thinking about them and what he knew about their lives and what he knew that they were going through. And sometimes he would allow the spirit of God to sort of bring other people to mind. And then in his imagination, he would now see, you know, Bob and Cindy kind of sitting over on the left or Joanne or Michelle or Susan over here or, you know, Jim over there. And he would see these folks, he would he would think about what he knew was happening in their lives, which reminds me, you know, that's what I thought of when you talked about, and I've heard you talk about it before. I think it's so good thinking about aches in people's lives and then strongholds that are sort of keeping them enslaved, you know, to that pain and that grief and that loss. And so um, I, I've tried to practice that. In fact, when I wrote the first book, Analog Church, because I wrote it primarily um, for church leaders. I remember I, uh, I printed out pictures like black and white pictures of pastor friends of mine, and I would stick them on top of uh, like on the wall behind my laptop as I would type the words. <laughs> Cause I wanted to make sure I was talking to people. Like I didn't want to just write a book into the ether, you know, I, I, and it really helped, and so I try to do the same thing when it comes to sermons, uh, which is why we were talking about earlier. You know, when you go speak somewhere where you're not familiar with with the people, um, for me, I just ask a lot of questions, and then I, I try to connect what I hear about the folks who are going to be there to real people I know. You know, like, oh man, that sounds that sounds a lot like what. Um, you know, Larry and, uh, you know, and Michelle are going through. So I'm going to think about them as I prep and sort of prayerfully write, not necessarily just to them, but really for them, you know, and ask God um, to speak through me to these specific people. For me, that's been really helpful. Just specificity uh, of like, who am I talking to? And really not just because I want the sermon to land really well for that person, but because I want the sermon to be in some ways um, an act of prayer for that person, you know, and that's how I think it becomes, like we were saying earlier, I think that's how it becomes a gift that we receive from God and then a gift that we steward to give to others, you know, that it's a prayer. It's a prayer that, uh, that we pray um, as, as we're prepping and preaching and teaching so fascinating i i feel like for for so many years
0: um i've i've held to this belief you know the the word prepare means before you go public um that your prep was so important and 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 often if i'm if I'm, you know really really honest it was around content and a, ideas and getting that content that manuscript into my bones you know that yeah. i so i could i could preach that and There would be prayer, you know, throughout my day or little moments, but, but I, I, I don't, I don't, I know, I know that there wasn't enough, um, pre prayer as part of how I prepare, you know what I mean? Like I just, I, I didn't have that of the visualization or the, the sitting and, and it's, it's, I think one of the gifts of these last few years, um, has been really, recognizing the the importance of that pre-prayer um, yeah. before you teach. And I just love, I never thought of it like that, to think about the room, but, you know, because most people sit in the same spot, you know, yeah. and I'm just, even as you were talking about going, you know what, in Chicago, next time I teach, I think I'm going to just take a picture mm. of the room and, yeah. and just, just start to, to to print that out and yeah. just start to see those faces and,
1: you know, kind of, kind of tell some stories around that and know that that's just super, super helpful. Um, hey, can I, can I turn yeah. the tables really quick, Steve? Cause yeah. uh, you know, I'm going to interview you because I was like so fascinated by this thought. So you teach, I mean, you're, you're one of my favorite teachers on the planet, incredibly gifted. Um, but what, one of the things I find so fascinating about you, cause I've been in the room when you do this, you walk into rooms of a wide variety of sizes and backgrounds and stories. I mean, you, you travel and speak at such, so many places, but also such different places. And I've been in the room when you walk in and for some reason, and it's, this isn't because we're friends now. It's like before that, long before we, I knew you personally, I would watch you walk into rooms and it, you would feel like a friend. Like you would start teaching. It's like, Oh that's my buddy Steve. And then you realize like, I've never met Steve. He doesn't know me. And yet it feels like we're buddies. So I'd be curious to know, like, because you a lot of your teaching rhythm right now in this season of your life is like literally in all sorts of rooms all over the country. Yeah, what do you do? How do you do it? How do you is it just a God thing in you, the way He's wired you, that you can walk into a room and feel so relatable and personal? Or are there steps, processes, practices? You implement to be able to do that because it's like a real gift that, that you have. I've always been curious about it.
0: Well, yeah. Well, thanks. This is the first time someone's like turned it on me and um, like, <laughs> no, no, I'm supposed to be interviewing you and telling the world how awesome and proud I am of this book. Uh, I would say um, backstory is before I knew Christ, the the person I wanted to be was Ferris Bueller. I wanted to be the guy that people knew. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. I think there's a, there's a, a plus to that, and there's a, there's definitely um, uh, a side to that that was all ego and um, a need to be needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I always respected about Ferris was that he was the guy that people would turn to. That he knew what people needed. He knew, like he just he could. He, and so, you used a word um ten minutes ago and i am gonna struggle to say it's one of the the two hardest words for me to say uh the first one similarly um the second one is specificity <laughs> specificity but but I, I i really work on that um whenever i'm going to speak at a new place i ask uh, the pastor hey what's a win um i ask the pastor hey is is can you send me three talks from a guest communicator that it just worked. Mm, it just worked. So good. Can you send me um, one or two that didn't? Mm, and yeah. so so I, I typically, before I ever go teach somewhere, I've listened to five talks um, wow. that I go, man, like that, I can see why that didn't work. Um, and, and, and then each, a little like inside baseball is every place has these uh, cultural unspoken and most people, when it doesn't work, when they step into a new place, is that they weren't clear on what the win was or yeah. they, they, un, um, they, they, they just accidentally stepped into a, a cultural unspoken that yeah, they yeah. didn't know. And so I tell this story. I spoke at a church in um, Indiana and I asked the question to the creative director and the pastor. And I said, Hey, is there anything I shouldn't say? Like, or any, any, any pain point that I need to be aware of that might, I don't know if I said it, everyone's mind's going to go there and I'm just not going to know, but I'm going to lose the room. Yeah. And and I'll never forget that the, the executive producer is in this room and she goes, Hey, nobody's ever asked us that question, but thank you. Because last year, somebody, um, pulled out of the, the parking lot and got T-boned and it killed this family. That was mm-hmm. really near and dear to our church. Mm-hmm. And the guy I preaching last week was a guest and it was an incredible message, but his end line, like, as he was ramp- ramping down was, and you never know, you could be pulling out of the parking lot and get mm-hmm. hit by a car and, and you will not have reached your friends. And that, like, and, and the whole, like, that's all they thought about. Yeah. There's this family that everybody knew. Like I didn't know. It yeah. wasn't an intent. It was, it just was. So for me, it, the more um, specifics that I can know around when, can around like, hey, what what is the church praying for? Where do you feel stuck at? Um, is there something that's happening in your context that I should just be aware of? Um, my last time at Flatirons, I think the week before I got there was the massive fire. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I to change part of my message. So you just learn to go, man, I'm going to, I, I got to flex here because, um, if I'm, if I'm bringing that gift that God has entrusted to me and I want that spirit to have that work before it hits their ears, man, I, I part of my preparation has to be that. And so, yeah. um, that's, that's, so good. that's it. And then I just really try to work is like, how do I, how do I not feel like a guest teacher, but how do I feel like family? That's yeah. that's that's the that's the thing I'm constantly looking for. I want to be as easy as possible for for producers and tech and sound people and worship. I want to yeah. just that's I don't want them to have to like worry about green room. I don't. I just want to be easy, family and and so those are just the things that go through my mind. So
1: that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's super helpful to me. Thanks, yeah. man.
0: Well, I appreciate you, bro. Um, okay, hey, one. One maybe just take a couple moments and my my kind of wrap-up question is just obviously all, all around character. And you know, again, that's that's part of the reason I think that uh I love you so much and um trust you and your writing and your teaching and just uh you're just so honest and human, which I just so love and uh, constantly just yeah, wrestling with difficult conversations that you know can be dangerous to the human Mm. condition or to your human condition and yet looking for ways for the kingdom to break in, the spirit to break in. What, what for you, I mean, when you write a book, you're usually done with the book, you know, a year before it comes out, you know? (laughs) And so, and then, and now everyone wants to talk about, you know, um, just the deep work of, you know, digital contentment and all of this stuff. But I, but maybe like the new well that J Kim is Digging and sitting in
1: around your character. What's something mm-hmm. that God's just been teaching you, and how are you fostering that? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking that question. Uh, it's it's somewhat connected to digital age stuff, but but it is def- definitely a, a more specific divergent path. I think. You know, I'm thinking about lots of things that, that are sort of localized to our community here. So that takes up a ton of my sort of brain and heart space. But uh, an overriding theme that I think I've been thinking about quite a bit for probably um, years now, but really focused thinking about it is um, listening. <laughs> I've just been thinking a lot about listening. I, uh, I've recently, you know, at the beginning of 2022, transitioned into a role, a particular role here at like officially transitioned into a specific role here at Westgate where um, the expectation publicly is that I have a lot to say, (laughs) that I should, I should just say stuff, you know, like tell us where we're going and how we're going to get there and what you think about this particular controversy or that. And, and I embrace that. I understand that that's a, a tremendous part of the role, but what I have found is um, that I like me, Jay, in and of I, of myself? I'm mostly at a loss about most things that are hard. So, like the big controversy or the big, you know, decision or the next, the the, the steps we're gonna take to get to wherever. It's actually quite odd that I'm in the position that I'm in because I. I don't think, I mean, there's there's parts of me. I'm like, I'm, I'm quite driven and that can get really dangerous if I'm not careful. I'm in Enneagram three. So like my image and pride and ego, those are all all constant struggles. But when I'm really honest with myself, most of the time I'm sort of at a loss. So I have a decision to make. I can either like fake it till I make it. And, and the danger is because you people like you and I have been talking publicly for a long time, I really can't fake it till I make it. Like I, it's, and it's actually, it's like, this is not, this is not, you know, like credit to me. It's I'm sharing this as a danger. Like I'm pretty good at faking it. (laughs) Like I can get up in a room, I can stand in front of our staff and I know enough Bible verses. Uh, and, I, and I'm sophisticated enough of a center where I can twist and turn those passages, make them work for the point that I want to make, and really just do it to get an emotional, elicit and emotional response and make sure I've got all my staff motivated and inspired enough to walk out those doors and do what I'm asking them to do. I can fake that, which is really dangerous. And so, because what it does, like it's just completely me. It's void of what the Spirit of God is doing in and through me. So I've been thinking a lot about um, honing my ears and my spirit to listen to God. So I actually just recently reread, and I've probably read it three or four times, going back to Dallas Willard, his book, you know, Hearing God. It was like so um, helpful. And uh, I just picked up, you know, Peter Griggs' book on prayer, and I'm excited to dive into that. I've just heard such incredible things. So I think that's the big idea that I'm just kind of circling right now. And not just as an idea, but trying to live the listening life. Um, and then getting comfortable enough, even in my leadership role, uh, to tell our people and our staff and, and you know, others you know, I don't know that I've really heard from God yet. I think I'm still listening. And to not allow the pace of culture to speed me up past where God has me. Um, and that's that's hard to do, especially today, where, you know, in some ways, like pastorally, I do, I do have to respond in a timely fashion when something happens culturally. But I'm realizing that it's okay for me to respond with, well, here is what is timeless and true about the scriptures in the way of jesus like when an injustice occurs you know i don't have to wait like the scriptures make clear god is a god of justice so that's where we stand we stand on the side of justice but then parsing that out and all the nuanced details of it i'm realizing it's okay for me to not have the answers but instead to say we're gonna seek god together so like here at our church um you know, I just stepped into the lead pastor role at the beginning of the year. And there was like all this push and pull about let's change this. Let's change that new vision for our church, all this stuff. And instead what we did, and I'm not saying this because I'm like a spiritual person. I'm saying it because I just need God. And without him, I couldn't do anything. So the first six months of me stepping into the lead role of our church community, um, the the emphasis has just been on prayer and fasting. We've just prayed and fasted for six months. So, our entire staff, one meal a a, a week, uh, we've just been praying and fasting together. And here we are six months later. And I think I have, I've heard, I've definitely heard some things from God. But honestly, like, and I hope this is not disappointing or disheartening for leaders. It's not like God has said, here's the new vision for the church. And in three years, you're going to become this. That's not what's happened. Actually, what's happened is some sin has been exposed. And there's been a lot of pain and loss because of that, but also God's goodness has been really abundant. Little things have happened, you know, like uh, like some key relationships that were really rocky beginning, beginning to mend. Mm-hmm. And it's not very public, like nobody, you know, the thousands of people who call our church home, they don't know that. They wouldn't see that, but it's really pivotal for us. So, you know, God speaks in whispers and sometimes the movement of God as we listen feels like a whisper level movement, but I, I just really believe, you know, that um, God's timeline is very different than ours and uh, to, to find beauty and goodness and immense hope in that has been so um, rejuvenating and refreshing for me. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just trying to live the listening life. I, I love that.
0: You know, the first interview we did together, the the takeaway uh was all around learning how to linger. Yeah. And how as a community you were just trying to learn to make space just to linger and and then just to like underneath the linger to to get better at listening. Mm-hmm. And you know, just I, I think there's just this natural kind of uh progression to to be able to listen, but to hear God, to need to hear God, to, to not have to fake it um, and to, to really sit in that. Cause you're right. Like you and I are gifted enough to fake it, but what people really, really want is um, to be brought in. um, And, and I think people are smart enough now to go now that's, that's, that's not, yeah. that's more ego than it is actual, yeah. man, that, that feels like the heart of God, you know? So I just love that. Jay Kim, I, I'm just so grateful for you. Hey, I'm proud of you. Uh, I don't Thanks, say that man. in a patronizing way. I mean, I just, I say that as a dear friend of, I think anybody listening to this, if you're a pastor, if you're just a a, a disciple living in this digital age, um, I'm telling you this this book, Analog mm-hmm. Christian is as good as they come. And it is thoughtful, um, but it casts a vision of what a life that is present and a life of contentment, a life that I'm longing for more of. And and this book made me want to not just like um, long for it more, uh, also showed me steps and ways and, and places uh, that I could literally begin to embody it. So thank you for the ways that you pastor, for your preaching. Thanks for your character. And uh, thanks for the gift that you are to me as a friend um, and to the kingdom, bro. I love you. And so we're just so grateful for um, Christ at work in you, man. Oh, thanks
1: so much, Steve. Yeah, love
0: to you too. Well, thanks so much for tuning into the Crafting Character Podcast. I hope that you loved, loved, Loved that conversation with Pastor J. Kim. He's so, so special. Well, hey, I just want you to know my friends and I at preaching today, we want to help you. I love their site because they got sermon illustrations. They got stuff to care for the soul and heart of the pastor like you and me. And they've got some work, some articles and exegesis. It's just a place for me to go and get a spark. A spark of care, a spark of inspiration. And you know what? They want to actually help you. Uh, and, and they have this whole heart to do that. So you can go to orderptnow.com slash cc30, and they'll give you 30% off your subscription price for the next year, uh, just because you're a listener of the Crafting Character Podcast. And We've got some amazing preaching cohorts coming up. Nancy Beach is leading one. We've got an amazing crew for that. Uh, Dave Stone's got one coming up. So go to theascentleader.org, check it out. And then Food for the Hungry. I'm so excited. I'm going on my first trip in September, and I can't wait to get to the Dominican Republic. I hear the stories of how Food for the Hungry just continues to do such incredible work. And if that's ever you, you want to learn more about FH, the holistic work they're doing on the ground, let me know. And maybe we can even go on a trip together. That would be fun. But anything I can ever do to serve you, shoot me an email, steve at steveryancarter.com. Love to connect with you. You can always reach us on Instagram at craftandcharacter. Much love, everyone.
1: Grace and peace.